0: Welcome to the "Exercise Is for Everyone podcast, where we talk about all things related to exercise, regardless of having limitations or not. Our guests provide information, insight, and inspiration to get you moving and keep you going. My name is Wendy Kleinke, and I am your host. So let's get started. All right, welcome back everybody. Today I have a really special treat for you. I have Dr. Deborah Fryer with us. And Deborah is amazing. She has um she uses movement and exercise in her business of the anatomy of money. And Deborah is gonna talk to us today about how you can use movement to start moving your money. I'm so excited to have you here, Dr. Deborah. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Welcome to the Exercises for Everyone podcast.
1: I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I love that. Moving yeah. your body. It's so good. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love it. I love it. Deborah. how did you get started with this work? Like, I know that you've got a background with like exercise with yoga and running and all these things, but how did this kind of work get started in your life? Such a great question.
1: So I was and and i still am but in a different way i was a very type a overachiever and the way that would show up is i ran two marathons a year i did triathlons i did a couple triathlons like every month i was doing a triathlon i was uh, an intramural squash champion for many years at my graduate school i was the president of the graduate rowing club at princeton i was just like one of those people who was constantly in motion and i would get up in the morning i'd go swimming for an hour and then i'd lift weights and then i'd go play squash and then i'd go for a run and in the in the in, the in between i would write my dissertation and you know it was like i needed exercise for me to move my body in order to do the thing that I was supposed to be doing. And I did this for years and it was super fun and, and I loved it. And I only stopped because I got a knee injury and I started doing yoga because I had a knee injury and I was a very reluctant yogini. I didn't want to do yoga. I didn't want to be on the mat. I freaking hated it and I was really unhappy and in this phase of being really unhappy, you know, I had to be with myself. And I realized I had been using exercise to have this super hard muscular, you know, strong exterior because I felt so weak inside. I felt so vulnerable inside. I was such a doormat. And um, and I realized I needed to address that. And so that's kind of how my transition started was by going to yoga class and, you know, getting still and my stuff would come up and I couldn't run away from it. So that's actually how it started. So nobody's ever asked me that question. And it's such a great question because I think that, uh, you know, I've brought my I've brought my love of exercise into my business in a way that's not about being strong on the outside. It's about being strong on the inside. And it's about being strong emotionally. It's about being strong spiritually. So I spend a lot of time in the spiritual gym now. And I talk about physical fitness instead Mm -hmm. of physical fitness. Because I had an injury and I had to do exercise that was much more gentle, Mm -hmm. I really began to face you know, some internal stuff that I had been using running. I didn't realize when I was constantly in motion that I was actually running away from stuff. And I was using my intensity of exercise to avoid some things. It was like I had this super strong exterior to protect my soft inner core because I felt really vulnerable. And um, I felt really unsure of myself when I was when I was running a lot of marathons, like I was using it as a way to build confidence, which it did. And I was using it as a way to build strength, which it did. And I wasn't fully integrated. And it was like, I had this really strong, I almost think of it like, I'm sure there's some food item that I would never eat, but I'm sure there's some food item that's like really, really hard on the outside and really soft on the inside. I don't know what that is, but that's kind of how I felt like, like I wasn't, I wasn't strong on the inside. and. I felt strong on the outside with the exercise. So uh, it was was actually very instrumental in me starting my business because when I could no longer run, I started doing yoga. And I started doing yoga as therapy for my knee. I had no interest in doing yoga. I had no interest in not running. I had no interest in being less type A. And (laughs) over time, I fell in love with yoga. And I fell in love with the principles and the philosophy of yoga and the unity consciousness of yoga, which is very different from the competitiveness that I had been conditioned in as a competitive squash player, as a competitive rower. Right. It was like, I have to win. I have to win. Like if I don't win, like I suck. And as a runner, I never felt that because I was always, you know, so in the middle of the pack, you know, the women would run in 220 in those days was a fast marathon time. And my fast marathon time was sub four hours. And you know, like so I was very middle of the pack. And it's still like, that's a pretty decent marathon time or like a 350, 355, 351, is a pretty decent marathon time for a very average runner. But I would never be like a grid of weights in the running world, but I was winning squash matches and I was sometimes in the boat that would win so I was so conditioned of somebody has to win and somebody has to lose
0: yeah you know it's interesting that you say that because I often hear um, and I bring this up all the time that yoga is not a competitive sport like you're not trying to compete with yourself or anyone else and it's all about like kind of being in the moment and another thing that I had um, when I initially started doing yoga like I don't know like 15 years ago or whatever, um, and I'm not like, i like, I'm not into it like you are, <laughs> but what was presented to me was that ideally you, all of the postures and the different movements that you do in yoga is actually so that you can be still <laughs> okay. so that you can sit in meditation and it's actually to prepare your body to be still,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which I always like thought was pretty interesting. Like you're doing movements so that you can be still like, what, like, what's that? Well, and the thing is that when you become still,
1: you become awake to how much movement is happening inside of you all the time. So it... I love that. I mean, it's a kind of a paradox that we <clears throat> we were in motion um, and, and we do the same thing with noise. Like you walk into somebody's house and they have the TV on or they have the radio on. If there's constant noise or there's constant light, we never realize the silence and the darkness. And yet once we train ourselves to go inward into those places, we discover the pineal gland is constantly emitting light, that there is tremendous light inside the body. In fact, we're made of light. So we discover tremendous light. Once we stop looking out Please here, and we hear internally, you know, so many people report that when they begin to meditate, they begin to, you know, have like fully formed chapters of their books just get downloaded. Like it's almost like they're being dictated a, a book chapter to. I know when I get in the shower, entire emails get dictated to me or entire business ideas and courses I want to teach get. Kind of dictated to me. Like it just, it's just, it falls in fully formed. And so there's a way that there's a tremendous aliveness internally that we miss if we override it with all of this external aliveness and noise and motion. And they're both great. I love movement. I love getting on my bike. I love hiking. I love sweating. The body loves it. And there's also a kind of internal movement that's just as valuable for your mental health and your physical health and your financial health when you. Come into an internal place
0: of stillness. Yeah. So, talk to me a little bit more about this. I like, I know everybody's interested in money. (laughs) So, I would love for you to talk a little bit about like what that means. Like, what does it mean to like use movement to help with your finances? Like, I've this such a new concept, even for me. Like, I'm like, this is so interesting. And it's such a rich,
1: excuse me. It's such a rich question. So I want you to ask me three times. Because I'm going to have a different answer every time. Because, like, already I'm having a whole bunch of ideas. So, number one, movement and money. Your fifth chakra is about your throat, it's about your mouth, it's about your shoulders and your hands. So, this whole area here is uh, uh, your fifth chakra is about manifestation. And it is through using your mouth, it's through using your hands that you create things, right? You're using your mouth and your hands right now to create the podcast. Right, and you, you, we use our hands to cook food, or to give massages, or to write, or to make art, or to to tap on the keyboard. Right, we use our mouths to sing or to. to coach or whatever you use your voice for, right? And and so this energetic area of your body is associated with translating from the non-physical, an idea, into a word or into a book or a course or a painting or whatever you create, a five-star meal. So you need to turn on your fifth chakra. Um, five, the number five, is also associated with movement. And when you think about, it, I mean, I talk with my hands because... I talk with my hands. I don't know why, but I do. And um, and I'm moving air. When we're speaking, we're moving air. When we're, you know, forming clay. When we're writing, we're actually moving air. We're creating a vibration, and a vibration will result eventually in a physical thing. If you think about the waves of the ocean, right? That's just a vibration, and it forms the shoreline right? Vibration is flowing out of my mouth and your mouth and it's landing. And somehow the computer is translating it into signals that people are interpreting as words. How does that work? I have no clue, but it's, it's happening, right? Like the non-physical, the vibrating sound waves somehow are being translated into sounds that people can pick up with their ears and interpret. So I'm initiating the sound wave and it's getting picked up and translated. And we don't need to know how, but it's happening right? Does that make sense? So by moving the air, you're creating something eventually that will show up as money. So let's make this super concrete. Let's say I'm a sought after speaker and I get invited to speak on stage. So somebody says, Debra, I want to pay you $10,000 to speak on stage to my audience. Okay, great. So I go to wherever it is. Maybe it's virtual. Maybe it's a real event. I have to open my mouth. I have to start moving the air right? And then the people in the audience hear the message. And that's how I get paid. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, that that makes complete sense. You had shown me, I think last week, a movement that you can do, which was like, like this. Can you t- like, and you, you had this very like sciencey, very Dr. Deborah way of explaining what was going on. Can you talk about that? Because I'm if I remember right, it had to do with grounding and easing your... Um... I showed you a movement. Was it this? Was it... Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. your arms? Yeah. Okay, well, so that is...
1: This is movement. Okay, so that's interesting. So this has to do with um, how do we create the momentum to do something. And momentum Mm -hmm. is also a kind of movement. So remember I said, Mm -hmm. ask me three times because I'll have three different answers. Uh So when we want to take action, whatever it is, let's say you want to get off the couch and go to the gym. Let's say you Mm want to start um, doing yoga. Let's say you want to start meditating. You want to lose 10, 20 pounds, whatever it is, you've got some idea of something that you want to do. And in order for you to get from where you are to where you want to be, you know, mm-hmm. minus 10 or 20 pounds, or I've meditated 40 days in a row, or whatever whatever your goal is, you've got to go from where you are to over there, right, to where you're not yet. Mm-hmm. And what stops us a lot of the time is we're afraid we're going to screw up. We're afraid we're going to do it wrong. We're afraid it's going to take too much energy. We're afraid uh, that, you know, I can't go to the gym because I'm so out of shape. Everybody's going to be laughing at me. Uh, for a lot of people, there's actually really fascinating science around this. For a lot of people, Who love going to the gym? When we think about going to the gym, those of us who love going to the gym, I'm one of those people. We actually activate dopamine, which is a feel good chemistry in the brain, where the minute you think about going to the gym or going running or going hiking, your brain is like, yeah, I'm so excited. And there are other people who dread going to the gym. And for those people, when they think about going to the gym, they actually turn on a different neural chemistry where they go into fight or flight where they're immediately in panic, they're in fear, they're in anxiety. It does not feel good to them. It actually feels scary. And the corollary is also true. For me, if I think about eating, let's say, a hot fudge sundae with whipped cream, and it's like a 5,000 calorie bomb, and it's totally high in sugar, like that actually creates anxiety for me because I know I'm gonna feel like crap if I eat that. And even the thought of that makes me like recoil a little bit. And other people, so for me, that activates my fight or flare fight or flight response. Um, just because it doesn't feel good in my system. And there are other people who love sugar and they love whipped cream and they love ice cream and they just like they drool over that stuff. Like they're excited about it. So for them they would think about a hot sundae and they would get dopamine whereas for me it would be adrenaline i'd be like oh no like no 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 like i don't i don't want to do that right so so there's there's brain chemistry that gets activated and brain chemistry is either going to make you feel excited about something or it's going to put you into fear So, back to the stroking of your arms. When you're in fear, you're in what we call the limbic system. You're in fight or flight, you're in reactivity. And you don't wanna do anything because it's scary. Of course you don't wanna do anything because it's scary. And what you wanna do when you're scared is either avoid or curl up into a ball and pretend like, you know, it doesn't even exist or um, you know, get in battle around it, right? Make a bunch of excuses. No, I'm not going to do that because and you argue about it and you justify and you convince and all that stuff. So, to get yourself out of fight or flight, You can literally trick your brain from being in the fight or flight area of the brain to this top area, which is called the somatosensory cortex or the motor cortex, which is associated with, guess what? Motor means movement. So that's where this comes into play. When you stroke your arms, you immediately move your brain's attention Right, because your brain is like, what's that? There's sensation. So now your brain is paying attention to how good it feels when you stroke your arms and you're not in fight or flight. So that's a brain hack that I use sometimes when I'm scared. Like, you know, if I have to, let's say I wake up in the middle of the night and I think I heard a noise and I'm scared, you'll see me in bed doing this. Or I might have a work issue that i took to bed and i fell asleep and then i woke up in the night and all of a sudden i'm thinking about this client who's got something going on and i can't stop thinking about them so i'll be like this right because that calms you down Mm -hmm. and it's a simple way to move the blood flow from the inner part of the brain the uh, a more primitive part of the brain that responds to threat to this um cortical top cortical area where you can just be in you know receptivity and relaxation is that what you're thinking
0: of Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking of. And I actually pulled it out once or twice when I was having some anxiety. I'm like, I'm going to do that thing that Deborah showed me. I'm going to do that, that thing that Dr. Debra teaches. And it works. Like, it totally works. And it's so simple that you wouldn't, you wouldn't think. But I love how you're just like getting into kind of the science of like, how, like the chemistry of your brain changes when you move, like from where the blood flows. Like, that's really interesting. Yeah. And movement,
1: you know, a lot of times people get stuck in their money where they'll say, oh, I don't have any money. I can't afford that. It's never going to work. I'm never going to make any money. And they're operating from a place of stuckness and they're arguing for a continued place of stuckness. You know, when when people are like, oh, I don't have any money and I'm never going to make that money. Like, really? You don't want to argue for that. I think you want to argue for the total opposite, which is I haven't made that money yet, but I'm going to 5X or 10X my income in the next, you know, X period of time, right? That's a much more empowering story. So when you're stuck, nothing can move. Think about stagnant water. The energy Mm -hmm. of money is water. It's like abundance. Unda means wave. So abundance is water. Affluence is water. Cash flow is water. Um, being flush with cash, right? We have lots of metaphors built into our language. And if you've never thought about it, you know, may I now be the one to blow your mind and let you know that money is liquid, right? Ooh, we, there's another one, right? We talk about being liquid, right? Yeah. Being able to liquidate yeah. your assets. Yeah. Uh, so so your, your relationship with money is one of flow. If you're hoarding or if you're stagnant or if you're stuck, you think money can flow? You know, it's kind of like if you ever find a stagnant body of water, right, that's totally scummy and covered with um, algae and stuff, it's non-potable. It's toxic, right? Non-flowing water is toxic. You don't want to drink it same is true with non-flowing money it is toxic it's toxic to your being it's toxic to your bank account it's toxic to your business money wants to flow it wants to circulate it needs to circulate
0: it sounds to me like you can um take movement to get yourself out of that state of anxiety that state that causes you inaction inability and you can actually change your finances (laughs) It's not a direct correlation, but yes,
1: eventually that will be true. You know, when you're stuck, your mood is probably also stuck, right? Your opinion about yourself or other people is also probably stuck. Your opinion about what's possible is also probably stuck. And you may feel like, well, nobody's ever going to give me a raise. Well, if nobody's going to give you a raise, who's in control of your money, you or them? They are, right? If you're in a job right now, if you have a corporate job, let's say, and you don't like your corporate job, why are you there? You're there because there's some underlying fear that you haven't addressed yet. Like, I don't trust that I can make this amount of money on my own. Or, uh, you know, my family counts on me for the support, so I have to do it, right? There's some kind of way that you've given your power away unconsciously. And when we give our power away unconsciously, it creates a, a real heaviness in the system. We feel depressed, we feel resentful. And so movement is a great way to counteract that. Even if you're gonna stay at the job, I mean, I'm not advocating that you, that you, you know, quit your job or that you ask for a raise or anything. I'm just saying emotionally, money, money always triggers lots of intense emotions for people. And it tends to trigger the most intense emotions for people who are the most stuck, who perceive they're the most stuck. And I was one of those people who perceived myself as being very stuck when I was running a lot of marathons. So running a lot of marathons created dopamine in my system, which made me feel better about myself. But it was only when I fully integrated that I was able to have a shift in who's in control of my life and who's not in Like I was really not in control of my life, which is why I wanted to run marathons, because that gave me the false sense that I was in control. So, if you're feeling in your job like you want to make more money, you're going to have to move some emotional concepts that you have about yourself. You're going to have to, you know, pick up a heavier weight. So, if you think about going to the gym or running a marathon, you probably can't run a marathon right out of the box. You probably are going to want to run a mile and then two and then three and then four and then six and then four and then eight and then six. And you're probably going to want to, you know, train your body to go a little bit farther distance all the time. You're also going to probably want to integrate some some uh, nutritional support. You're probably going to want to double down on your rest, make sure you take a rest day maybe get some massages, do some yoga, do some cross training, right? You're going <clears> to <throat> be adding and building on your skills as you move closer and closer to the distance. The same is true with money. If you want to go from, you know, let's say earning, I don't know, pick any number, $20,000 a year to $50,000 a year, you're going to have to pick up a heavier weight in the sense of you're going to have to start thinking of yourself as being somebody who's capable of doing that. I know when I go to the gym, you know, and I actually had this experience um, last year where I was working out a lot with Orange Theory. And I'd start with the 10 pounds and I'd be like, I don't know, I can't, there's no way I'm ever going to do a 15 pound, you know, like the biceps and like these kinds of things and the tricep things and, you know, like 10 was totally fine. And then I was like, after a couple of weeks, I was like, oh, this is pretty easy. So then I was doing 12s. And then, you know, a couple of months went by. And then pretty soon I was like, well, I think I'm going to check out the 15s. And then pretty soon I was doing the 17s. And then pretty soon I was at the 20s. And then, you know, maybe six months later, I was at 22 and a half. And then I was like 25. And I remember looking at the weight rack being like, six months ago, I was picking up a 10. And now I'm picking up a 25 and then the coach comes over and he's like, well, Deborah, how about you pick up a 30? I'm like, no, 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 I can't do that. And he's like, no, here you go. And then here I am like doing 30s. So like, Really? Like your body will automatically adapt when you do the same thing over and over and over and over and over. And when you make it a teeny bit harder, it adapts. And you make it a teeny bit harder and it adapts and the same thing is true with money so that eventually a six figure year that's not a big deal like that's normal okay so then let's just see if we can up it a little bit how about six figures every six months oh okay that becomes normal and then you're like okay how about maybe six figures every three months okay that becomes normal okay how about a six figure month 12 months in a row okay that becomes normal it's simply a matter of training your nervous system it's safe for me. I can do this. I'm in control. This is fun. It's really the same principle of training your thoughts because thoughts are neurotransmitters. Muscular movement is neurotransmitter.
0: So you said just now it's merely a means of training your nervous system. Yeah. So that to me, like, I, that's like mind blowing because it makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. Like what you're talking about, because like a lot of times people who have issues with money, mm-hmm. they, they have anxiety, right? Yep. When, when it comes to like thinking about what's in their bank account or thinking about the bills that are in the mailbox or, yep. you know, whatever it is, or thinking mm-hmm. about like having to make a big purchase or when their next meal is coming or whatever like people who have money problems mm-hmm. definitely have feelings of anxiety they have feelings of anxiousness of their nerves going uh-huh. white uh-huh. so what you're saying is that if you can get a handle on your nervous system you can get uh-huh. a handle on your money is that right yes
1: yes yes that's it
0: because let's
1: parse that a lot of people you're right have tremendous anxiety around money because what's the thing that happens immediately when they think about their money problem they think I can't afford that. I don't have the money. I'm in trouble. I'm letting somebody down. I'm disappointing somebody. I'm powerless. Right? They, they go into all this negative quicksand of, of how incapable they are and how they're never going to get out of a hole. They just go like straight down into everything that is not going to happen. And the beautiful thing about the future, even five minutes from now. Is that it hasn't happened yet so you get to create it so you're just conditioned to expect yourself to fail and whether you think you can or you can't you're right if you expect yourself to fail you will if you expect yourself to be weak you will be if you expect to be taken advantage of you will be because of your conditioning and our conditioning is operating at a subconscious level in our nervous systems And it is so quick to respond. They say that it takes a fifth of a second for your subconscious mind to respond. And it, you know, compared to your conscious mind, which is two or three seconds. So- And it's true, when you think about an anxious, something that makes you anxious, right? Like, you know, for your listeners right now, just think about um, how much money you have in your savings account right now. Write that number down. How much money do you have in your savings account? Write it down. Mm-hmm. And then say out loud to yourself, wow, this mm-hmm. is how much money I have in my savings account. And notice what happens in your stomach. What happens mm-hmm. in your solar plexus? Where do you feel? It's like instantaneous. Your body is going to be like, it's going it's to constrict somewhere. It could be your throat. could be your solar plexus. You might like immediately feel pressure in your head. You will have an immediate physical sensation the minute you think about money. And then you might have a thought that also arises because every time we think a thought, the thought is also related to a feeling underneath of the thought. Mm -hmm. And underneath of that is relating to something like, you know, some memory, and probably it's a traumatic memory because the way that we're wired is Anything that is threatening to us needs our attention. They say that for every negative thought we think, every disempowering, fear-based thought we think, we need uh, five positive thoughts or experiences to counteract it. Because, you know, if something good happens, we're like, oh, whatever, not a big deal. If something bad happens, you bet we're talking about it. You bet we're on it. Right? It's, it's just it's how we're wired.
0: Yeah. So Dr. Deborah, do you help people break through this conditioning? I mean, is that part of what you do? Yes. Can you, can you tell us just a little bit about some of the ways that you do that?
1: Yeah. So I work with people, I work with people who feel like, They're not confident, and and if they could be more confident, they could make more money. If they had more money, then they'd feel safe. If they had more money, their relationship would be better. If they had more money, they'd be able to lose weight. It's always like an if-then thing, and most people um, if not all of my clients come to me with the complaint or the struggle of, I'm not making as much money as I want, I'm working really, really, really hard, but I, I'm barely making ends meet, or, you know, I'm in a corporate job, I'm making great money, but it's killing my soul. Um, so they're either making a lot of money, but they're trading their time for their money and they're really unhappy, or They're working really, really hard. They're super generous. They're super expert at what they do. But they don't charge for it because they're afraid subconsciously to have the money. That's why people don't charge. Is because, oh, I'm spiritual, so I don't need money. Or my spiritual gifts were, you know, God given. So why should I charge for that? Because They're coming free to me, so why should I charge? Or I can't have more money than other people. There are all these people who are starving. There are all these orphans all over the world. And who am I to have money? So they're coming to me already with their conditioning written all over their sleeve. And they don't realize that they're operating from a set of subconscious conditions that are not true. You know, None of us can help anybody if we're broke. Because if you're broke, you're worried about yourself, and you should be. If you're broke, you know, you gotta put all your attention into, you know, am I gonna have a roof over my head? Am I warm enough? Do I have food? You know, like you have some really basic survival conditions. And so if you're broke, if you're operating from a place of survival, you don't have very much energy left. To serve the planet, to you know, to do good in the world, and so I help people recognize that you know we're all made of the same life force. We all have the same life force available to us, and once we unhook from our energy being in that place of survival, and you know, I've had clients who are multimillionaires. I had one client uh, who has a foundation, and she's a multimillionairest and she gives millions and millions of dollars away. She's super compassionate, super generous. She's got a foundation. She's giving all her money away, and we get into her money story, and it turns out she's living on $1,000 a month. She's living below the poverty line, making millions of dollars on her investments, and we had to unhook that because she didn't feel deserving to be you know, a recipient of it She'd been conditioned, and so many women are conditioned this way, that we have to give everything away to be lovable, or I have to give everything away because I don't want to be um, bigger or better than other people, which is conditioning, even the thought that you think you're better than somebody because you have a lot of money. You know, money doesn't make you better or worse than anybody. Money doesn't make you anything you are who you are. If you're a jerk, you can be a jerk with money. If you're a compassionate, generous person, you'll be a compassionate, generous person with money. But that was confused in her mind, right? And she thought that somehow rich people were jerks. So she just made sure to give all her money away so that she was a good person. And once we cleared that, you know, she was able to both give a ton of money away and also, you know, upgrade her life and her lifestyle to a way that was relaxing and lovely for her.
0: Yeah, you know, I've heard that money is a magnifier yeah so if you're a jerk you're going to be a bigger jerk yeah if you're very nice you're going to be even more nice right um but yeah that's really that's a really interesting story thank you for sharing that that's that's really interesting i yeah i think that this is incredible just because like i never you know like i've been studying movement for decades you know and i don't think that i have ever made the connection between movement and money, but everything that you're saying is making so much sense about the nervous system and the fight or flight response and um, how like money makes you feel. And if you can feel better, like you can kind of clear those blocks and get get rid uh-huh. of some of that stuff. And sometimes you really need an outside perspective. You know, Sometimes you really need help with that. You need somebody to like hold you accountable, somebody to like Sometimes it's not just about having the information, right? So, like, Uh do you provide accountability also?
1: I I do provide accountability when people are working with me for, you Mm -hmm. know, a number of months. And I work with my people for 6 to 12 months uh, or longer because it takes long to train your brain to Relax. If you've gotten the conditioning of I need to be uptight, I need to be scared, I need to be anxious, and it's not your fault. We all have this conditioning. Uh, especially, I'm seeing it in people whose parents were born in the depression or whose grandparents were born in the depression, because they learned, you know, uh, they were they grew up in a certain set of circumstances and conditions that unconsciously they passed on to their kids. So a lot of people who are recognizing, oh, yeah, I was really close to my grandmother, and my grandmother used to keep rolled up balls of tinfoil, and she used to save rubber bands, right? I mean, this is my grandmother. <laughs> she she would do that, and, and it was because she grew up in the Depression, right? And it wasn't that, you know, like, and I still keep rubber bands in a ball in my drawer because my grandmother did it, you know? So we just learn these patterns without ever even questioning them, and um, you said something about, Exercise makes us feel better. So I wanna use exercise and money and that conversation about feeling better. So think about a time when you've exercised and you felt like a million bucks. You might've climbed a mountain, it was a 14er, and now you're on top of the mountain, you put in the effort, you sweated, and you're looking around at this amazing view and you just feel amazing, right? Or when you finish a marathon or when you have a great swim workout in an outdoor pool or when you swim across, you know, a lake and it's cold and you're back and you're, you know, wrapped in your towel and having tea, right? Like these feelings of aliveness feel so good, right? And and we hear ourselves saying, I feel like a million bucks, right? And that feeling, you generated that by you moving your body money will never give you that feeling. You will give you that feeling. And there is all kinds of mixed wiring in our conditioning where we think money is going to give us a certain feeling. And it's not. You're going to give you a certain feeling. You may feel that same thing when you have a bunch of money. But if the money goes away, you're going to lose the feeling. Whereas if you recognize, yep, I picked out a trail, I packed myself some trail mix, I hiked for, you know, 10 hours and I'm exhausted and I feel so alive and great and confident and strong. You did that for you and you can repeat that. And there's a kind of certainty and a kind of confidence that you generated and nobody can take that from you.
0: I love that, I love that. You know, and I think that it, I think that it should be also said, like you were talking about the conditioning and how it can be generational and things like that. And I, I think that when it comes to the body, people understand that like your body didn't get that way overnight, you know? Mm-hmm. So like undoing that, like they, they understand like, okay, I'm not going to like do one sit up and have a six pack, right? Like people mm-hmm. understand that. But sometimes I think people don't necessarily understand that when you get into like, subconscious programming and conditioning and like the kind of things that we're talking about that like it it usually doesn't just unwind in like a week, right? Like it yeah. usually takes some concentrated effort and some repetition and some, totally. some, some work, right? Totally.
1: You know, they say we think 30 to 50,000 subconscious thoughts a day. And if you do the math, 30 to 50,000 thoughts a day times 365 days times however many years you've been around there's a lot of subconscious conditioning that you've got to slowly unhook from. And it took you 20, 30, 40, 50 years to get into the pattern that you're in. And so it takes time for you to unlearn that pattern and learn a new one. You know, there's a lot of science around habit habit formation. And I know that you teach this with your clients. And you know, there are so many different perspectives on this, it takes a certain amount of time to unhook from a pattern. They say that the neurons that fire together wire together. It's called Hebb's Law in neuroscience. And so what that means is that when we think a thought over and over, the neurons actually get closer and closer and closer and closer because it's more efficient. So the neurotransmitters, when they're jumping across the synaptic cleft to talk to the next neuron and the next one, and the next one, it's just way more efficient for them to just like, they don't have to Go very. They don't have to travel very far, and the neurons actually move closer together. So you end up with like an LA superhighway, which is why, you know, if you sang a song over and over and over and over and over again when you were a teenager, you. St- Still know all the words, even though you haven't heard that song on the radio for 30 years, right? Right, It's crazy, right? Like you remember things when you're in a heightened emotional state. And that's an example of the neurons that fire together, wire together. We all know how to walk and drive and speak English automatically because we use that every day. Use it or lose it, right? So if you deliberately interrupt the pattern and now instead of being on this LA superhighway, you're going to start to bushwhack and create your own path okay so the first time you do it it feels really hard it's really brambly and you don't know where you're going and right it would be so much easier to be on the logging road but you really are you're gonna go off trail right the more you go off trail the more that trail gets worn and if you stop walking on the la super highway or the logging route that trail eventually will become overgrown and the same is true with your neural pathways the ones that you use every single day day in, day out, 30, 50,000 times a day, those become the ones you walk the most. And your brain does something called dendritic pruning. It's like totally related to the gardening metaphor. So a dendrite is the end of the the neuron that talks to the next one. And um, so what happens when your brain, this happens at night while we're sleeping, is your brain will go ahead and prune away all the things that it thinks you don't need. So if you're constantly operating in a place of high anxiety and stress, and looking over your shoulder and being defensive and arguing for your limitations of, okay, this is gonna keep me safe. I can't do that thing because it's not safe. I can't do that thing because I don't have the money. I can't go to the gym because people are gonna laugh at me. I can't hire a trainer because I don't have the money. Whatever it is, if if you keep arguing for those kinds of limitations for yourself, your brain will look at what are the neural pathways that you've used the most and it will see These are the ones she's used the most, so I better protect these ones. And I can actually clip away all the ones she's not using. So, all the other pathways, like, oh, I see myself, you know, with a six pack and on a beach in the Caribbean, or I see myself um, 10 pounds lighter and I don't have any arthritis, or I see myself giving up gluten and dairy and and my digestive issues have cleared up, or whatever, you know, like, because you haven't even given yourself the possibility to imagine beyond what you think is possible all that stuff just gets cleared off your desk. And what becomes strengthened is the pathway that you think over and over and over again. What we know about neuroplasticity, which is the brain's ability to reshape itself, is exactly what you're talking about, Wendy, with the body. Right? Like you think you live in a body that's finite, but you're creating your body with every breath with every sip of water, with every food, every bite of food you put in your mouth, with all the movement you're creating the next you. So you're training your body to expect something from you. Like you are a work in progress. This isn't, this isn't what you get for life. Like your hair is growing out, right? I don't know about you but all you women, you know, You probably took hair out of the drain this morning after your shower, didn't you? You probably clipped your fingernails, didn't you? Like you're Mm -hmm. constantly growing from the inside out. And I remember a couple years ago, I made a vision board where I had a six-pack picture on my vision board because I wanted a six-pack. Well, guess what? I have one now because I do my 10 minutes of core work every day. You're never going to get a six pack if you don't do number one, if you don't have the vision for wanting it. If you don't want it, you're never going to have it. If you don't want to break six figures, you never will. If you don't want to have a six figure day, you never will. So you're going to have to start with admitting that you have a desire. When we're talking about money, a lot of people feel super squeamish about even wanting more money because it's so not something you talk about. It's so taboo. Like, oh, no, I can't talk about wanting money. Like, That sounds so icky to me okay great if you want to have the belief that it's icky to have money then you will not have money if you want to be a Mother Teresa or you want to be an Oprah Winfrey or you know pick somebody that you want who who makes a lot of money and contributes a lot of money and does a lot of good in the world, you can be that kind of rich person. You don't have to be like a used car salesman with all due respect. There might be super awesome used car sales people listening. But like you don't have to have a a version of you with money that is unpalatable to you. Create a version of you with money that, you know, has six pack abs. Does that that make sense? Oh, yeah. You you have to see it in order to create it. So number one, you have the desire. Number two, okay, now I have the desire. What am I going to do about it? If I want to have six-pack abs, I'm not going to get six-pack abs by watching a whole bunch of videos, by listening to a whole bunch of seminars, by reading a whole bunch of books. I'm actually going to have to get my ass off the couch, onto the floor, and do some crunches, and do some bird dogs, and do some, you know, all the various things, bicycle crunches and plank holds and all that stuff in order to take a step every day. And it's, it's super tedious. It's super not sexy. Every day, 10 minutes, plank holds. It's not that sexy. But you know what? A year later, it's pretty sexy.
0: You're creating I, you
1: right now. I love you're this. Your this body, is you're creating a bank account.
0: Creating yourself from the inside out. Like I just... I love this conversation. This is so good and juicy and I love it. Um, So Deborah, we are about running out of time. So I'm going to wrap this up. Where can people find you? Where can people connect with you and find out? Like I'm going to have everything in the show notes, just like always. Um, But I'd love for you to say it because I'm like a listener type of person. So like I'd love for you to tell us where we can find you.
1: Well, I would love for you to look me up on Facebook. I have a Facebook group. It's a private group that's called the Anatomy of Money Academy. And it's exactly what we're talking about. It's how do we use the physical body to generate the life that you love. Anatomy of Money Academy in Facebook. You can also put into Google anatomyofmoney.com and that will take you directly to my website and um once you're connected with me on my website, you can just, you know, send me a note and saying, Hey, I heard you on Wendy's podcast and I want to, I want to learn more. So super simple anatomy of money.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, everybody. Dr. Deborah Fryer, please connect with her. Um, she just is so brilliant and I'm just so happy to know her. And I, I thank you again for taking the time to come in and share with us um, a few rays of your wisdom. So thank you, Deborah. Thanks for having me. It's so fun to talk about this conversation with you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much. One more thing before you go. As a fitness professional, I have a great love of exercise and a passion that there always be a space for people to get together and enjoy the types of exercise that they love. If you're interested in learning tips and strategies to help you build a fitness community of your own, please join us on Facebook. We have a free group called the Lifted Community where we talk about these ideas. Just search the Lifted Community on Facebook. Looking forward to seeing you there.